Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Guess what? You're excited for Carnival? Yay, happy Carnival. Ours is just finishing. Um, No, that's not what I was going to say, although I was oh. in Ottawa last week, and so it's Winterlude. <laughs> in Winterlude in Ottawa right now must have been, what, 10 degrees? It was, oh my gosh. So I've been in Ottawa, Toronto, and now my guess what was going to be, I'm calling in from the Yukon, from Whitehorse, first time in Whitehorse. I'm here for the Available Light Film Festival. And oh my gosh, Nora, it is so warm up here. No. Yeah. Like when I arrived um, at night on Saturday, uh, the Saturday before this episode is coming out, it was six degrees. (gasps) Oh. Yeah, and everyone is telling me that it's totally weird because, you know, before I came, folks told me to prepare with like layers and that it was going to be really cold. And I was like, okay, y'all, I know I have been to the cold before. <laughs> like, come on. Um, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. I know how to dress. I'll be totally fine. Um, and I prepared. And no, currently right now, looking at my phone at what the weather is, and it says five degrees. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think it's actually colder in Toronto and Ottawa right now than it is in Whitehorse, which and but the thing is, it's also quite warm in Toronto and Ottawa. So all very concerning. And that all happened right after, as you know, from last week, I left a very cold and rainy Los Angeles. So (laughs) it's all bad. Yeah, I mean, I was out last night. The reason why I mentioned Carnival is because I mean, because it is. This episode's dropping on Fat Tuesday, everybody, if you're not up in your Catholicism. Um, and uh, last night I got to see Bonhomme Carnival, the king of winter in Quebec City. And it was plus five. And this is a night where usually you are dressed to freeze your brains out. Like literally five pairs of socks, you know, five different pairs of pants and snow pants. And and it was plus five. And that was really unsettling. Damn, that. It's really shitty. I, you know, I continue to be nervous about the way the climate is changing. But here's what I'll say about Banam. Mm-hmm. Long live Banam, the, <laughs> the, the healthy king of our time. <laughs> <laughs> it, this is the 70th anniversary of Carnival in Quebec City. And they do these night parades. They're part of, of the, the celebration every year, which is like pretty amazing because it's psychedelic and, and neon and fire and stuff. It's just awesome. And they had a float celebrating the 1970s, but the word uh, was not just like the, the, the decade of the 70s, but also people in their 70s. And, you know, they had like dancers on every float. And at the back of this float, they had a seven-year-old man dancing like with the choreography of the younger dancers. <laughs> It was what? really charming. Yeah, I took a picture of it. I loved it. I, everyone was loving it in the crowd. And and his his dance moves were so, like, subtle as well. It was just very, very, very well done. Oh, my God. I love that. Well, happy Carnival. Oh, thank you. I um, I didn't get a festival pass this year because it's too expensive. But <laughs> we, we we went out and we had fun. So it was great. But, uh, but yeah, the weather sucks. And, um, and I, you know, I, I, I just keep coming back to this idea that, like, you know, the stages of grief, like it seems like media in this country have kind of accepted, like they've gotten to acceptance. And so the stories are more about like, oh, how do we deal with this? This is how it is. We're going to accept this. And that makes me feel pretty sad that we've hit that milestone in the stages of grief. Nora, I think I disagree with you on this. I just think that our, oh. our 
I, I, sorry about that. I just think that um, journalism as it exists in Canada right now doesn't know, like, I, like, can I remember a time where I was reading journalism about the climate crisis that wasn't something that would talk about like what the government should be doing, what they were doing and comparing it to what other governments were doing or what um, communities were calling for or something. Not really. Like that's just not the way the stories are told to us. So I don't know if they've moved into another level of grief or if um, it's just like more and more obvious how the way that the journalism um, that we are forced to, uh, to, to, consume, I suppose, around the climate crisis in this country just continues to be so inadequate because there is a way to tell a story that will make it clear to people how they can have an impact on it. And then there's a way to tell a story that makes it seem completely fatal. So. Yep. Yep. That's true. Okay. Well, you, um, point Sandy. Maybe we should talk about journalism <laughs> today uh, or something. I don't know. Oh, Before we get to that. That's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Okay. <laughs> let's thank some people first. We have so many people to thank today. So um, folks, you know that the money that you're that you're sending us right now, um, it really helps. It really helps because, um, you know, we do this podcast out of love and sometimes love don't pay the bills. I have to say, I've been looking at my money recently and I was like... Oh shit, like October 7th really has changed everything in in media if you're a left-wing voice because there's there's just things drying up and disappearing and not being available. So, um you know that you're helping us uh to hopefully continue to have someone help with the scripts on the daily news and so thank you, thank you, thank you, thank everybody who's made their donation for the first time or changed it. Uh and thanks to people that have canceled as well because of course we understand you can't give forever. So this week in particular, thank you so much to Juno, Anna, Samuel, David, Tori, Katie, Kyle, Caro, Rylan, Kimberly, Adela, Autumn, Maya, Chris, and Jeanette. And actually, Maya, maybe you're Maya. I know people spell it, pronounce it in different ways. So Maya, Maya, all of you, thank you so much. Thank you all so, so much for your support. And yeah, and I mean, God, like, what the fuck uh, to to the people who um, are are making the decision to be too fucking afraid of journalists who, um, quite frankly, have it right on what's happening in Palestine. Like at this point, um, you should know, right? Like at this point, Biden is now, as of this week, saying that um, Israel's uh, response was too heavy handed and they need a new whatever. Like if the president of the United States is now um, saying, ah, gosh, this is too hot even for us, then, uh, you know, for fuck's sake, I don't know what you're afraid of um, in terms of platforming uh, or having journalists like Nora and the other uh, folks who were uh, among the first voices to to say really clearly what was happening in Palestine and what was likely going to happen in Palestine. In fact, uh, you should call on them more because clearly they are talented at this, at analysis and at knowing how to talk about this story. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And let us talk about media and talk about how specifically, I mean, the big story, of course, this past week is Bell. And so I think we'll probably spend most of the time talking about Bell. But I think 
beginning this conversation with Gaza and coverage around Gaza and how journalism has demonstrated its complete lack of preparedness to have a conversation about what is actually happening in Gaza. I, I mean, I'm not surprised by any of this. I know you're not surprised by any of this, but I do think that it is surprising to many people to see just how unprepared, unwilling, completely tied in with the foreign policy of Canada of uh, Canada Affairs, Global Affairs, or, or, or your Canada's foreign minister. And it's a bit shocking to see it, it, it live. I, I mean, as I say, I'm not surprised, but it is something you're like, wow, okay. Like, I don't know if you saw that the National had to correct themselves because they said that the UN considers Hamas a terrorist organization, but they don't. <laughs> no, I did not see that. What? Wow. Yeah. 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 So Adrian Arsenault had to say like, oh, yeah, we misidentified Hamas being a terrorist organization in the eyes of the UN. And, you know, something like that is like easy to get wrong if you're not actually doing journalism related to Gaza and to Palestine. And at the same time, we also had, you know, all of these stories about Selena Robinson, which people remember from last week, where global uh, CBC, probably others, were incapable of saying Palestine when they are saying what came before Israel related to her comments. Because, of course, the comments that got her uh, kicked out of, uh, of her um, cabinet position were, what did Israel replace? What was Israel built on top of? And, you know, I think that in, an, in, an, in a time where... Uh, we are careening towards um, a, a, a very significant and serious regional conflict where Israel is um, now opening up a ground campaign on Rafah, which is the border city that everyone has been pushed to. And a lot of people in Rafah are on lists hoping to evacuate and waiting for hopefully their name to come up every day, ready to leave. And Israel has announced that they've discovered Hamas is hiding under the UNRWA offices in Rafah, justifying the ground invasion there. Yeah, in fact, as we are recording this, um, uh, the Al Jazeera is reporting that uh, Israel is striking Rafa as we speak. And it's just, you know, like if anybody is confused about this campaign being anything other than ethnic cleansing and uh, an attempted um, and uh, successful in some ways, genocide, like, I mean, at this point, like, I don't know what to say. But I mean, even, you know, like you say, it would be an easy mistake to make uh, if you're not paying attention. But like, come on, as as a as a journalistic organization, there should be someone on the beat of what is happening right now who would understand this completely. Like that is fully unacceptable. That um, the 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 labeling of Hamas as a terrorist organization is like internationally contentious. <laughs> like that is something that should be known uh, by anyone uh, who is writing the story on this and so that mm -hmm. it can be told uh, in a clear and understandable way. But again, I mean, it, this is one of the failures of uh, Canadian journalism at this time. And my God, like, it's not going to get any better with more cuts, more cuts, more cuts that seem to be announced, like with such regularity, it feels like almost every four to six months, there's some sort of major announcement of cuts and jobs um, mm. being 
being lost. I was in the midst actually of, of, uh, talking to, to someone from CTV who wanted to do a special on, um, on uh, discussing uh, some sort of racism. And uh, we were working out the, the time that it would be. And then I got a, sorry, I just got laid off. I, uh, I don't know how to take this. I didn't realize this was going to be happening. I'm really sorry. And oh like, my oh my gosh, like what a, what a terrible, awful, awful thing. And I mean, at this point, in journalism in Canada, it's like, whew, who, where's, who's the advocate? Mm-hmm. Who's advocating for journalism in Canada? Well, and that is not a good question. Uh, so, yeah, we have this situation where Canadian media is not doing what it needs to do to talk about the biggest story in the world, that it has been a fight to get them to cover Palestinians with. I mean, even the same level of empathy that they're covering Israel and Israelis considering like not not considering the completely disproportionate death toll. We certainly haven't had any real reporting on things like the federal government deciding to defund or not increase its funding to UNRWA with no evidence. But that's only coming out because of advocacy organizations doing a lot of important work. And then this past weekend, a big scoop from the Maple that has been able to confirm how much money in arms Canada has exported to Israel since October 7th, thereby making us very concretely implicated in this genocide, ethnic cleansing, you know, however we want to we want to uh, frame this or talk about this. And so, you know, it's not a, it's not by accident that it's the Maple, uh, a very small and new news agency is the one that has broken this. And they've broken it through freedom of information requests and hounding Global Affairs Canada. I mean, stuff that, you know, the CTVs, the CBCs, the globals of the world do all the time. It's pretty stunning. And so in the midst of all of this, here is this nuclear bomb that it's cutting 4,800 jobs. And a lot of those cuts are happening at Bell Media, which is, of course, the Bell subsidiary that owns a lot of media outlets, notably CTV. And they're selling 40 radio stations all across Canada and uh, cutting local broadcasts. They are going to cut all noonday broadcasts all over Canada, with the exception of Toronto. And they will be cutting all weekend broadcasts with the exception of Toronto, Ottawa and Montreal. It's actually, it's so stunning. Like just under 5,000 jobs. What the fuck? I mean, Bell must be in some really dire straits, right? Like they must have lost like uh, a massive amount of money somehow. Yeah. 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 They only made uh, $2.8 billion in profit last year. Um, and that, you know, is down from whatever the fuck amount they made in profit the year before. <laughs> I don't think we can call that down. Like to me, like that, that is not how <laughs> the, the profits are in the billions and they're slightly less billions than last year's billions. And yet, I mean, like the shareholders, are they still happy? Are you still paying your people up at the top who got laid off in the executive suite? Is it anyone? I mean, we kind of know how these things work at this point and uh, news doesn't make money. News doesn't make money. Hey, Nora, did you know that news doesn't make money? It's like not the smartest (laughs) capitalist venture. And so if news doesn't make money, we know that news doesn't make money. Why do we not do news as a service, which is what it is? Why isn't news treated as a service? Why is it treated 
like a fucking capitalist business in which the only thing that matters is how much profit uh, the the big guys are making and how much they can extract from the little guys on the bottom. Hmm. So like there's a problem with all of this conversation and how it mostly happens in Canada. Uh, there are not enough people that seem to think that the values of capitalism and where capitalism is today. So the, the way that Canada's markets are wholly, wholly, wholly in the service of profit, whereas there were some mitigating factors from the 1950s through to the 1990s to spread out that profit and put more limits on what corporations could do, balance these things out a little bit. And so now in this era where the entire market is oriented towards profit, 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 obviously journalism is not going to be able to live in that model. Now, there will be some outlets that can live in that model. The Globe and Mail, for one, where many of their subscribers have access to their subscriptions through work. So you work as a corporate executive, you likely have a Globe and Mail subscription that's paid for you. Uh, and then it's, of course, it's also just a newspaper with people who are reading that have a higher income and have more disposable income pay on news. Okay, fine. Uh, but, you know, there's no grown up conversation about what media is supposed to do in this country and how badly it has failed. You know, there, there's this um, episode of uh, there's this new right wing think tank backed media group called The Hub. They keep getting more and more and more attention. And I'm, it's I think that in a couple of years, they're going to be like as mainstream as they get. But it's 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 a it's a right wing think tank thing. It's not a journalism thing. And they had a, a podcast episode with Steve Pakin, who's like the Botox darling of uh, Ontario uh, tourism, uh, works for the public broadcaster, which I've never understood. And uh, and and Pagan on this podcast is saying something like, like the role of journalists is to figure out who are the best governors or who are the best leaders, and that they they should be kind of helping steer conversations to making sure that the best the, the best leaders are the ones that are leading us, and that's not partisan. That might change from one party to the next. It just lays bare for me just the reality of what some people think journalism is supposed to be in Canada and how absolutely impossible it is to be a critical journalist. And if you try, you're just pushed out of every single space that exists. And, you know, but there are still people in mainstream journalism who have these jobs and who are sitting in the pot and the pot is boiling and they will be next who like consistently think that, well, we just need to tinker with this. We just need to get more money in the system from the federal government. We just need people to buy more paywalls. We just need people to not steal their news. And it's like, that's not the fucking problem. Like if Bell can make $2.8 billion, which is the total operating budget of CBC Radio Canada, if they can make that in motherfucking profit and still can't fund local news... That's because no one who has any money that benefits on, 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 uh, from ignorance is going to find local news. And no one who is as big as a company as Bell or as Rogers or as TELUS or as Chorus or whatever is going to want an informed population as they are in this, the, the, the purest pursuit of as many profits as possible. I mean, these things are not compatible. And it's like... Where are the mainstream voices saying this rather than, oh, now's the best time to subscribe to Globe and Mail, everybody? 
<laughs> Who's saying that? Like as a response to this, like you have to subscribe. That's oh, Robin Doolittle. But I mean, bless her heart, she wants people to subscribe there because she works there. I mean, that makes total sense. Oh, I didn't realize you were talking about an actual real. Person, but I saw a lot but, of people okay. liking that okay. shit. Um. Wow. Uh. Yeah. No. That's. <laughs> not, sorry. That is shocking to me. That. That's not. What? How could that be considered the answer? I, oh man, what a full uh, misdiagnosis or understanding of what the problem is. Um, okay, uh, yeah, there's that. But guess what, Nora? You know who agrees with you maybe like in a really broad way is your boy, Justin Trudeau. Ah, uh, the you know, boy, thinks, Justin Trudeau. He thinks that this is a pretty what is the word he said? A garbage decision. He says, we need those local voices. And over the past years, corporate Canada, and there are many culprits on this, have abdicated their responsibilities, their responsibilities towards the communities, corporate Canada's responsibilities towards the communities. I'm just repeating things that I find interesting, which is like the whole quote that have, they have always made very good profits off of that. They have always made very good profits off of. So yeah, he says, I'm Mm -hmm. pretty pissed. Yeah. I wonder if as the prime minister, there's literally anything he could do about it. No, as I've said to you before on this podcast, the role of politicians has been shifted somehow to just say the thing that we are all thinking and not to do anything about it, not to use any of their power to do anything at all. Like, that's what they do now. Politicians just mirror what we are thinking. And then whoever we agree with the most, like, that's who we're expected to vote for. So Justin Trudeau, um, this man who is, um, in, you know, imbued with the powers of the prime minister, he says, man, this is a garbage decision. We need local news and that's supposed to be enough. Fucking do something about it. Like you have all of these powers available to you. You could do something about this. There could be consequences for this. There could be a whole other way of funding news, thinking about news. Um, we could approach all of this very, very differently. And you just complaining about it doesn't do anything. And again, this brings us back to sort of what we were talking about at the beginning. Even in telling that story, like there, there's so many stories out there about Justin Trudeau calling this a garbage decision and how frustrated he is. And I haven't read one that's like uh, Justin Trudeau like didn't step up to the plate to do anything or talk about um, the responsibility of government and what government could do in this circumstance, which seems like a pretty absurd thing to not ask him to address immediately after he's saying something like that. But Again, this is this is where we are. Yes, this is where we are. You know what? He's such an awkward dude that when he was saying that it's a garbage decision, it was almost as if he was talking about like watching something like octopus pornography or something like something just very, very weird that made me made me feel like sick for five seconds as he talked. And I don't know what that is about him that makes me have that reaction. But just the gar- this is a garbage decision, he said. And it's like, guy. No shit. No shit. But you know what? You benefit from this garbage decision. And we all know you benefit from this garbage decision. Like, th- this is what is just so, so, so irritating. Like, you know, and I made a video about this. So apologies if you saw that video on YouTube, um, because I'm going to repeat some of my points there. But 
There is an interesting transformation happening right now in how people consume news. There's two kind of opposite things happening if we're talking about broadcast news today. One of them is what you see all the time on platforms like TikTok or Instagram, where news is punchy, it's short, it's posted in images or really short cut up videos. Then there's the longer form news pieces, which is something that you'll see on YouTube, where people will mostly apply analysis to other people's reporting. Like the national broadcasters could look at this and say, you know what, let's let's go in that direction. Let's create a, a nightly news lineup that is like a TikTok feed or let's actually hire longer form analysts to talk about the news and not like do this national pundit dance that all of the national broadcasters are so obsessed with. Like how many former spokespersons of Jagmeet Singh or of Stephen Harper or of fucking I don't even know who in the liberals like just liberals are we have do we have to hear their opinion on what is going on in Ottawa like they they're hacks those folks are hacks I want to hear a journalist I don't want to hear a fucking hack like unfortunately a lot of journalists are hacks but you know there's so many interesting and possible ways to transform this stuff that for me I look at this and I think okay so you want to try to make money off of off of news you're not gonna make money off of local news that's for sure and so government has to look at the levers that they do have to fund local news and Mm, what is the most obvious lever to fund local news? Oh, it's CBC. You should be pouring money into CBC and not that you should be directing CBC how to do any of their coverage, but the money should come with, we want to see bureaus reopened in different parts of the country that have long since lost local news stations. So that's CBC and CTV could be doing interesting news. They easily could be doing interesting news, but the reality is it all goes back to the same issue. This is not a money issue. Issue. This is a desire issue. No corporation wants media scrutiny. And that is no more or less true than for a company like CTV that is literally in the business of media. CTV's owner, Bell, gets nervous when there's scrutiny on a corporation the size of Bell. And so obviously they're going to do everything they can to destroy media. And so that is the reality. And no amount of excellent journalism and, and excellent storytelling or attempts at diversity or talking about mental health or all of the other bells and whistles that they're using to distract us from realizing what the actual problem is because it's not the actual problem. This is not going to solve anything. They can't even tell the story. Like, Sandy, what do you think is the top news right now at CTV? And remember, for listeners, Rafa is being bombed as we record. What do you think is there? I was just about to say, yeah, I, I know it's probably not Rafa, so I'm not going to guess that. I'm going to guess that they're, they're not talking about themselves. Is it the king? Is it the health of the king? Oh, that's such a good guess. I mean, he's down here somewhere. It's not the health of the king. And, and I, you would not have guessed this. And the only reason why I jumped in to say it wasn't Rafa before was just to remind people it's Sunday night. This is the big news that is happening. No. So the big story, the top story. Woman firing rifle killed by officers at Joel Austin's church. Boy shot police say. What? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, do you even know who the hell that is? Like, I barely know who, who, who Joel Austin is. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely know who Joel Austin is. But um, that's a story for another time. <laughs> I just have heard him <laughs> spoken about by many a Christian. Um, but it, it just seems a little strange that um, 
I mean, maybe that's the whole thing is that it's like we're just the jigs up. Uh, we'll just all consume American news and that's it. <laughs> we're not going to be, you know, like it's just so strange. Well, you go to CBC and it's not like it's much better. OK, like the number one piece of news is breaking news, which should be number one news in Canada that uh, someone, a man has killed five people, including three children in southern Manitoba. The second story beside that. Watch, this strongman competitor is a woman who can move a school bus. Oh, no. Followed by 50th Animal Chinatown Lunar New Year Parade, Helen Vancouver. Okay. Child among two hurt in shooting at Texas megachurch celebrity pastor Joel Osteen. Canada competes in reverse sweep of U.S. games. Game seven and rivalry season, second straight year. Don't even know what the fuck that means. Uh, governments need to take responsibility with international students in crisis, say charities. And then my favorite... Woman whose car was stolen three times in the past year says no one taking problem seriously enough. And you know what? I think that woman is probably not taking her own car thefts seriously because they keep getting stolen. Although she doesn't actually <laughs> lose a single car, they keep getting down to two. But what the fuck? Oh, my God. You know, like that, I think that there's going to be a period where we look back on this period and just say, like, what an embarrassment Canada is. But it's it's beyond embarrassment. Like, this is like a concerted effort at this point not to pay attention to some of the the most um, important news in our world. And it's just like, what are you being complicit in? But Nora, like, I really think part of me like wonders, you know, we see us ranting about it. We'll see some um, uh, rants about it in some of the, the more um, left wing um, uh, publications out there, especially some of the new ones. But I like when I say who's advocating for journalists, like I really what I mean is like, oh, my God, journalists like I, I feel like there's been this idea that, OK, keep keep our heads down and, and just keep doing the work that we can do. And eventually, like this storm will be over, like it's not going to be over it's like never going to be over. It just has to change. It it absolutely has to change. And no one, not a prime minister who's calling this stuff garbage, um, no one in power is going to, not, not a prime minister who's, who's promising to kill the public broadcaster, no one in power is going to make that change happen. It has to be all. Like, it has to be you. You have to make the change happen, which means that the that the approach of being quiet and not being the loud, disruptive advocates for yourself like that, that period has to be over. Yeah. If you want to save it. If you're fine to go down with the ship, if you want to be the last person that ever holds the job that you have, then fine. Say nothing. But if you think that it's like of critical importance that people have local news in this country, and if you think that it's of critical importance that people in Canada have a local take on what is happening internationally and how that's impacting local communities, then my God, like we have a responsibility here to be doing what we can to change the structure around news. And like we said, the capitalism doesn't work. So we have to figure out something else. And 
it's like, you know, watching the way that capitalism also anchors itself around news, like some of the stuff that you were saying around how um, the news could could operate like a TikTok feed, sure. There could also be like an understanding that there's a weird way that um, these companies that own the news, right, like they, they are involved in entertainment. And so they've been thinking about the news as entertainment. There's been this idea that the news must be entertaining or else like they have to present it to us that way. And as a result, now it is hard, harder to find news that isn't presented to us like entertainment. And that's where you get a lot of the analysis that's like missing from the news, right? Because entertainment isn't trying to make you move on something or understand your implications on something. It is trying to to like give you something that's passive, that's easy to uh, consume and doesn't do much. Well, sorry, but maybe the news shouldn't always be entertainment. <laughs> maybe that's not its greatest purpose. And maybe we shouldn't be thinking of the news that way. And that's not to say that we can't have entertaining um, ways of presenting analysis. I think that's perhaps something that Nora and I try to do, right? But the news does not necessarily have to be something that is entertaining. We don't we don't need everything to be um, TikTokable, Instagrammable, Twitter. Like we don't need those big companies to control how our how we understand information about each other in our local communities and about each other um, all over the world. And that's part of what is happening is the power of these very, very large tech companies have really um, sort of taken the strategy of how we present each other with information, how we communicate with one another, and very importantly, how we figure out the news about our world. And um, they've influenced it so deeply that it like it has to to look like entertainment in a lot of uh, formats in order to get to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now you you're touching on something which I think is the the unspoken part of all of the the destruction of of local news in Canada that is the most dangerous, which is that Canada is a nation with no identity, and and to create an identity. In a country like Canada that is geographically large, that people have lots of different diverse experiences from place to place and that those experiences don't necessarily talk to one another. And so you think that things are exactly the same in one part of Canada than where you are. But unless you actually spend time in both of those parts, you actually don't realize how different they really are. And when you have a country like that, you need to have nation building projects build national identity and through national identity comes some sort of or some of national cohesion. And media plays a huge role in this. You know, like the idea that storytelling can can build a nation is literally what underpinned the reason why governments created CBC, Radio-Canada. It was to create an organization that could tell stories for Canadians, for better and for worse, that they could see themselves reflected in. And as media has taken a giant dump and become more Americanized or replaced more Canadian content with American content or whatever, and as there's no 
challenge to power and we're just told to accept the things the way they are and nothing is ever going to change and the next obvious thing that's going to happen is a prime minister Pierre Polyever and over and over this drives us into the ground of cynicism and it is an antidote to what actually does need to be built in a country as large and diverse as Canada which is some sort of sense of national identity I have to think that there are institutions in this country that do not want to see Canada to be broken up. And that is absolutely what is going to happen. You eliminate all of the nationally focused, national identity identifying things. Because otherwise, there really is no reason for someone in freaking uh, Portage La Prairie to identify with the same thing as someone from Red Deer, to identify with the same thing as someone from Shawinigan. Like, That should be really obvious to people. And I actually think that's the biggest danger because you actually do need some kind of big uniting thing if you want this country to exist. And it's funny that I'm arguing this because I actually don't really want Canada to exist. I think that there's much better ways that we can organize ourselves that would be more democratic and more fair. But, you know, from the very mainstream perspective that Canada should continue to exist, the disintegration of our media is going to destroy that. Every single time someone sits back and says, I don't understand why everything is so polarized, partly that's because there is no national, mainstream, credible, critical storytelling to tell our stories. It couldn't be more obvious. Oh, I guess, it's going to be, I guess. <laughs> It's like, Belle, let's talk. Like, like literally, like January, the only national uniting thing in all of Canada we have in January is Belle, let's it talk. And all that is is people making fun of how stupid it is. Which is fine and good. But like the fact that we that that's even a thing is like, uh, <laughs> what? Yeah. And like and beyond like its nation building potential, like as a project, it's it, it, like this, the way that we tell each other news and tell each other stories. It's also like critical for survival and like I'm not being glib here like we need to share information with one another in order to survive and um, whether we're talking about longer term survival although it's shorter and shorter with the climate crisis like we need to understand how the climate crisis is impacting us what our um what our options are, like what we're, what, what faculties we're using, institutions we're using in order to resolve those problems from education to healthcare to infrastructure and so on. All of those things are critical, important local stories that also have critical, important national, uh, implications and national storytelling, um, uh, a national analysis that is required in order for us to understand what it is that we can do no matter where it is we live. And of course, all of those things are also connected on a worldwide level. But, you know, when you are taking a look at news in other countries and I mean, gosh, like try it, take a look. Some of that sort of reporting is way clearer in other places in the world than it has ever looked uh, in Canada, it, which is like just so unreal because there's so much that is happening here that is endangering the places in which we live um, using the climate crisis as an example. But whether it's um, the climate crisis or some other way in which we live, like as we know, as human beings, we require each other in order to survive and we are 
thus required to communicate with one another in order to survive. If our healthcare system is falling apart, we are required to like know that amongst each other and to figure out what it is we're going to do collectively to resolve it because we can't all be healers and doctors and uh, taking care of people um, medically. And so this communication is critical. It's of critical importance. We need it wherever we are. And, uh, you know, more. it's more than just a nation-building pro- project. It's like literally our survival. And it should be thought of in that way. And if we're, we're cutting, like, um, the amount of jobs and radio stations and, uh, you know, the, the ways that newspapers have... Sh- have shrunk over the years. They used to be hefty when I was a kid. You would pick one up and it would be kind of heavy. And now they're so small. They're so tiny. It's like picking, like there's nothing in them. It's, it's shocking. And uh, there to be like these stories that are just little clips, like basically um, tweets, like a series of tweets. And, you know, there are news stories now that are literally a series of tweets just mined from other people. That's not good enough. Like our education systems are failing, our healthcare systems are failing, the climate is careening towards killing humans. Like I just we we require this information for our survival mm-hmm. 